Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Glad to welcome all of you into the house. And those of you who are watching online, thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing the services. I hope and pray you have an amazing, wonderful Christmas. I know you're already getting amped up and ramped up and ready for all the festivities. Isn't long, kids? Santa Claus is gonna come to your house. It's gonna happen. That's going down tonight, kids. You excited about that? You ought to be. Hey, I, I'm a believer. You, my dad used to say, you quit believing, he quits coming. So I'm down with the Santa Claus. I'm all over that, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And that's some of the exciting things about the holiday season, is being able to give gifts and see them receive those gifts and the joy that's on their faces and be able to make some brand new memories. I heard about a little boy who went to see Santa Claus. He really wanted something, but he hadn't been a very good kid. And of course, the first thing Santa asked him is, have you been a good little boy? And of course, he said, well, sure, because he wanted the gift, right? But he got feeling bad about it in the car. He goes, you know what? He goes, you know, Santa's going to check the list. He may check it twice, and he's going to find out. I've been naughty, not nice. And so he was really worried about that. So he wanted to be sure that he was going to get what he wanted. So it really bothered him. He had trouble, uh, you know, really resting in, in the fact that Santa would still bring him the gift. So he thought, you know what I'll do? I'm going to go over the top of Santa's head. I'm going to write a letter to God. And so he decided to go in his room, and he write this letter to God. So the little boy started out, go, dear God, I've been a good little boy all year long. And he thought, you know, that's not really so. You know, I mean, Santa knows, but God really knows. So I can't, you know, I can't spend this. So I'll, I'll back up and try it again. He goes, dear God, I've been a good little boy all month. I, I've been a pretty good boy all month. No, I can't do it. I've been a good, good little boy all week. Still wasn't working. Finally had this stroke of genius. He goes into the living room and he takes a little figurine from out of his mother's nativity set he goes back in his bedroom and he writes this letter. Uh, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> so I hope you don't have to go to those extremes to get what you want. But this is the season of giving and receiving gifts. And the greatest gift that God ever offered us is the gift of his son. And Jesus coming into the world brought the greatest thing that we needed in our lives. And that is the gift of his love. The gift of his love. In fact, when surveyed, people were asked, what is the thing you want most in life? And the number one response to those people surveyed was love. I feel like it's missing in my life. I feel like I, I need it in my life. I feel like there's something going on in my life that isn't right. And it's just something missing. And, and they responded with this idea of, of love. Psychologists have identified a syndrome. I think it was interesting. I've never heard of it before, but they call it an empty heart syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? An empty heart syndrome. It's a feeling that someone has that something is really missing in their life. And it's very disorienting and it's very troubling and it can bring about some depression and it can bring about some anxiety in a person's life when they, they just can't get comfortable uh, in and of themselves. They feel like there's still something that they need or someone that they need. And so the psychiatrist, after dealing with a lot of people and talking them through their problems, identified it and said it's, it's, it's an empty heart syndrome. Well, Pascal had once said that there is a God-shaped vacuum or void in the heart of every person that's born in the world. 
I wondered when I read that and I thought about that, I wonder if the empty heart syndrome could be the syndrome that we're born when we're born with a heart that is apart from God. And throughout our life, many people try to fill the vacancy and the void in their life with other things and other people and they come up empty because no one or no thing can satisfy that which only God can satisfy. In fact, the wisest man that ever lived was a man Solomon in the Old Testament and he wrote a whole book about this. In fact, it's back in your Bibles where the pages are stuck together. It's a book called Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's writing, talking about his search for meaning and fulfillment, his effort, if you will, to fill that God-shaped hole, that empty heart syndrome. And the first chapter, he said, I decided that what I would do is I would, I would pursue a success and I would pursue a business and I would pursue money to see if that would fulfill the void in my life. And Solomon had to look at his life and go, I, I don't understand why I feel this way. I come from a good family. I mean, I've been taught great values. I mean, I, I understand, you know, a lot of things about right and wrong, and my dad's done a very good job in raising me. I mean, I'm sure Solomon had moments where he didn't understand why he was feeling the way he was feeling. And then it bothered him because there was something that was lacking and something that was missing in his life. And so he, he pursued these businesses as a means of satisfying that lack in his own heart. And there's nothing wrong with business pursuits. There's nothing wrong with making uh, money. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But the problem is he was doing that to try to fill the vacuum or the void that was in his heart. And what happened at the end of that pursuit, if you read Ecclesiastes 1, he said, when I acquired all of the things that I had acquired and I achieved everything I had set out to achieve, I had to come back and say, it's empty. My heart is still empty. It just didn't do it for me. So then he goes to the next pursuit and he says, I'll pursue, uh, pursue education. I'll just see if I can uh, educate myself and maybe there's something lacking. There's something that I need to know and understand about me and the world that I'm living in. If I can grasp that, you know, maybe then that will satisfy this aching in my heart. You know, in reality, we're all ignorant. We're just ignorant on different subjects. So education, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just when you pursue it as a means of trying to fill the place in your heart that only God can fill. When Solomon did that, he came back with more degrees than a thermometer and said, I'm still empty. <laughs> it's not doing it for me. This didn't do it. I thought this would do it. And so finally in frustration, he goes, you know what? I'm going to do anything I want to do with anyone who's willing to do it with me. <laughs> and boy, he did. He got involved in all kinds of crazy, sordid, just nutty stuff when you read about what all he did. In fact, he ended up, get this, marrying 700 women. 700 mother-in-laws, fellas. Can you imagine that? Now, if they were all as great as our mother-in-laws, that'd be okay. Right? Seven, and that wasn't enough. He, got, he had 300, the Bible uses the word concubines. We know what that was. 1,000 women. And after he did all of that, and after he had all of that, and after he had done all of those experiences, you know what he said? It's empty. It just doesn't do it for me. And when you get to Ecclesiastes 12, here's what happens to Solomon. He encounters God. He finally encounters God. Broken and bruised and betrayed and beaten up by the mistakes that he made in his life. And God was there. Listen, God was there all along. 
God gave him space to try to figure himself out. And can I tell you, God will cut you some space to try to figure you out. When you read Romans 5, 8, the Bible says, while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. Christianity isn't behavior modification. God doesn't change you so he can love you. He loves you just like you are. The great Billy Graham used to close his crusades with that wonderful hymn, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. And that's how a person turns their heart. They come to Jesus just as they are, broken and battered and bruised and betrayed. And they just simply say, Lord, in my hand, I just simply trust you. In my hand, I simply reach out to you. And you take a hand of faith and you grab a hold of the hand of grace and you find that God will receive you. Jesus said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. I get people saying, boy, Bill, you just don't know what I've done. I, hey, I don't need to know. Some people have a tradition where they feel like part of what my role is is to hear all the things that they've done. And I'll politely hear them, but I'm just, can I tell you, it ain't necessary. I don't need to hear your stuff. I can't die for you and it do you any good. I'd be dead and you're still in, a sin, in sin. I, I can't absolve you. There is a high priest who can, but it ain't me. I found if you want people, however, to keep talking to you, never look surprised. And I've heard a lot of stuff. People start talking and you look at them and you say, uh, you buried them where? No, that's never happened. <laughs> Make sure you're listening. But the point I'm making is uh, that that's not my role, that's God's role. There's never been anyone who's come to him that is so far out and so messed up and, and just so confused that he hasn't received them. He'll receive you. In fact, when Jesus came into the world, he came into the world to meet the deepest need of mankind and the deepest need that we have, you know what it was? For a savior. We couldn't save ourselves. There was no way we could be good enough to get into heaven on our own. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's the standard of perfection that's necessary to get into heaven without Jesus. <laughs> we blew that a long time ago, guys. There's none of us that have not sinned. The Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. So if you're proud of yourself, let me ask you, have you had a foolish thought lately? I mean, since you've been in here? What am I saying? I'm saying as a late theologian, great theologian, uh, uh, Clint Eastwood said, none forgiven, we all got it coming. We all got it coming. There's none that does good. No, not one. They're all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what, would, what did we need? We needed a savior. So one night out on that hillside, Judea, all of a sudden, the skies lit up with the presence of angels, and they announced the birth of Jesus to some of the most lowly, humble men in all the world, shepherds. And in Luke 2, they said, for unto us is born this day in the city of David. Here it is, a Savior, who's Christ the Lord. And I love how the Bible describes him. Have you ever thought about this? The Bible describes Jesus as a gift. I said in a little while, we'll exchange those gifts and it'll be a lot of fun. But have you ever realized that Jesus is called God's gift? God's gift, his gift of love, his gift of forgiveness, his gift of, of, of acceptance, he's God's gift. And what happens when you reach out and you receive his gift? Let me tell you what happens. First of all, when you trust him and you receive him, your heart becomes filled, are you ready with this? With his presence, with his presence. Cindy and I were married for 42 years before she stepped into heaven. 
And we were just kids when we got married, just turned 18 years old. But you know what happened when Cindy and I got married? I didn't get the marriage religion. <laughs> I got Cindy. What happens when you receive Jesus is you don't get the Christian religion. You get Jesus. He comes into your life. His presence comes into your life. He abides in you. So when you read the Bible, you get the author uh, who can explain every copy. <laughs> you have the presence of God within you who never leaves you. He, he will never depart from you. You are sealed, according to Ephesians 1, with the spirit of promise unto the day of redemption. So think about this, guys, on this Christmas Eve. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you receive God's gift, you get his presence. Second thing, you get his peace. He fills your heart with peace. What does our world need right now? Peace. Peace. A peace that passes, as he describes it in Philippians 4, that passes all understanding. The world needs peace. But let me tell you, this world will never have peace apart from the Prince of Peace apart from a relationship with Jesus. And here's what I found about peace. You can have a troubled life and you can have problems in your life, but have peace in your heart. When I talk about the presence of God, bringing the peace of God in your life, I'm not saying a troubled-free life. I mean, if you fussed and fought on the way here, guess what you're gonna do when you get to the car? You're picking it up or you left off, baby. <laughs> you walked in here and you were having some financial pressure, you're gonna walk out of here with some financial pressure. I'm just suggesting to you that I don't have any pastor dust to sprinkle on you. I wished I could and change your world, but I don't have that authority. Here's what I can tell you. Your world may be troubled when you walk out of this room, but you can walk out of this room with a troubled world and a peaceful heart. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. He didn't say in order to do this, your world won't be troubled. Their circumstances didn't change. Not one thing about their circumstance changed. Everything that had troubled their heart before would continue to try to trouble their heart. The difference was they found his peace. John 14 opens with a troubled heart and ends with peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. So Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You can have a troubled life and an untroubled heart when you have his peace. So track with me. I get his presence. I get his peace. You know what the third thing he does and brings in my life? His promise. I get his promise. I'm told there are 30,000 promises in the Bible. I hadn't counted them. I'll just take their word for it. But one of the greatest promises I found that I've held on to since Cindy's been to heaven is that promise in Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 5. Here's what it says. Uh, he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Next verse. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He has said, so that I can say. What has God said? Bill, I'm not leaving you. Not only am I not leaving you, I'm not forsaking you. And because he said that, here's what I can say. He's my helper. So I'm not afraid. I can face life. I can face whatever the future holds. I can face it because his promise that is in my heart, written in his word, says I will never leave you. I shared this with the church. It's two different things. To leave means to physically remove yourself from someone. To forsake means to emotionally disconnect with someone. You can be physically connected to someone you are not emotionally connected to. You can be emotionally connected to someone you are not physically connected with. Jesus said, when it comes to you, when you receive me into my heart, you get my 
presence, you get my peace, and you get my promise that I will never remove my presence from you, and I'll never emotionally disconnect from you. You got a God that understands you. Listen, you may be as confused as a termite in a yo-yo, but you got a God that understands you. You got a God when every other person scratches their head and looks at you like a puppy hearing a siren when you tell them your story, you got a God that says, I get you, and I got this. There's nothing you can bring to him. There's nothing you can bring to him but what he's not moved by your, by your concern. The writer said in Hebrews, we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was in all points touched and tempted as we are. The difference is he was without sin. You ever tried to share your heart with somebody and all of a sudden you can see them and they're just glazed over looking off and you're thinking, why did I even talk to this person, <laughs> right? Let me tell you something, you'll never have that experience with God. When you bow your head and you humble your heart and you enter the presence of God and you say, God, this is what is going on. His Holy Spirit just says, child, I got you and I got this. Why? Because when you have his presence, you have his peace and you have his promise. Here's the last one. He also brings his purpose into your life. I'm convinced that I, I don't think we'll ever understand why we're here or what we're here to accomplish apart from our creator. I mean, we have the owner's manual right here, but if we don't really have a relationship with the one who's created us and designed us, then we really don't know what we're here to do and how we're to function. And so we go through life, so many people trying to connect dots. What's my life about? Does it have meaning? What am I here to do? And the first step to discovering that is connect with your creator. We have at home something we call our junk drawer. Anybody have a junk drawer at a house? We got a junk drawer. I don't know why we call it that. Everybody seems to call it that. Probably goes back there to grandma, grandpa way back in the day. We got a junk drawer. Now, in my junk drawer, junk drawer, easy for you to say. In my junk, junk drawer is, uh, you know, probably a screwdriver, some pliers, some, you know, blowtorch, uh, repelling rope, uh, I mean, I don't know what all's in there, but I can tell you there are some things in there that I could not tell you what they are. I don't know. You know why they're there? They look important, <laughs> right? You have stuff in your junk drawer, you're like, I don't know what this is or what it does, but I'm afraid to throw it away. It's gonna be that thing eventually that I'm gonna need to fix that deal that broke from that gadget that went, you know, that gizmo, that thingamajig, a doomahickey. I don't know what it is or what to call it, but it looks important. Can I tell you something? The God of heaven never looked down at your life and discovered you in a drunk junk drawer and said, I don't know what I'm gonna do with that one. I don't know what they do or how they fit or where they fit or if they fit. He designed you on purpose. There's nobody like you. The psalmist said, you are beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully made. God doesn't make junk. When you start diminishing who you are and you start talking down who you are, you're insulting your creator. He made you with a purpose. The reason you're confused right now is you just hadn't connected with him. When you reach out and receive his gift, you get his presence, you get his peace, you get his promise, and you get his purpose. And you know what's great about purpose? Is we're immortal until our purpose is over. Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there is a season, there's a time to every purpose under heaven. Life is seasonal. Christmas season, we're in a season of life. And in this season that we're in, there's a time, and the time is connected to the purpose. 
And as long as we have purpose, God gives us time. And the moment our purpose is over, we'll hear a voice that no one else hears. And the voice will say, come up higher. And one day you and I will step from the temporal into the eternal. We'll be absent from this body. We'll be present with his Lord. Why? Because one day we received his gift. Can I tell you as I close what that looked like for me? My dad was a pastor. Probably what's wrong with me. I'm a recovering Baptist, so pray for me. <laughs> so I was in church all my life. The only place we ever went was to church. I mean, it was just part of what, I don't, did that sound bad? Did that sound bad? I meant to sound happier about that. But anyway, <laughs> went to church a lot. When I was just a little kid, probably five or six years old, I remember I'd sit close to my mom. My dad never let me sit further than three rows back. I like to think that I inspired him. That's why I had to sit so close. I think the reality was he had to keep an eye on me. But I sat by my mom. I remember, I can't even tell you the message my dad uh, did that morning. But what I knew, I didn't know a lot. I hadn't done a lot of sinning, you know, <laughs> five or six, you know, I'd been around a lot. <laughs> but here's what I knew. I knew that Jesus loved me. I knew he died for me on the cross. I knew I needed a savior. And I know enough to know that if I received him as a savior, if I asked him to save me, he would receive me. I tugged on my mom's dress. I never will forget it. I said, I think I need to receive Jesus. And of course, my mom was like, are you sure? Are you sure you just don't need to go to the bathroom? <laughs> no, 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 I think this is it. My mom had walked me to the front. That was the, kind of the tradition of the church. My dad was behind the pulpit. And I will forget, my dad stepped out, came down to the front, knelt down, my dad on one side of me, my mom on the other side of me, opened his Bible and told me, he said, son, Jesus went to the cross for you. He loves you. And if you'll ask him to come into your heart, he will. I did. And he did. I remember my dad stood me up in front of the church. We had a big church. I was just a little kid about this tall. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, hey guys, I'm proud of my boy. He's given his heart to Jesus. And I know people have said, man, you know, you were awfully young. You think you understood enough about it? I'm not sure. Salvation really doesn't come about by understanding. It comes about by believing. The understanding follows the believing. I, I've come to terms with the fact that you don't really have to have a PhD in sin to get saved. <laughs> you learn that going down the road. You learn how to do that. But I knew enough to know that I needed Jesus. And can I tell you as a kid with just a childlike faith, I received his gift and it changed my life. And what I found as a boy you can find now, and that is when you reach up your hand of faith, his hand of grace will take hold of you and that gift will become a reality in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise that if we call on you and receive you as savior, you won't turn us away. You won't turn us aside. So I pray for my friends, those watching and those in the room, many of whom have never trusted you. They're good people. They've just never come to terms with their faith. Many of them have looked to religion. Many of them have looked to good charitable work. Many of them have looked to rituals of their religion as a means of getting them into heaven. But the simple message is, you said it in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, you said, except by me. So Father, we understand Christmas is about 
God giving his son to the world as a gift, a gift that just simply needs to be received. So Father, I pray for all those watching and those in the room who've never received this gift, that this might be that moment. On this Christmas Eve, this would be the moment when they humble their heart, swallow their pride, and they say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and be a reality in me. This is my prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.